The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. bodily functions or flagellants you need to get out before we get started? Um, I mean, I need to jerk off, but I can do that later. All right. Yeah, let's let's put that one on hold. All right. Episode 20 of MMA on the Rocks. It is Monday, November 7th. I am somewhat joined by Jeff the Animal Wilson, who had to... What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Are you... uh, hi everybody! Oh, glad to be back on the show, and uh, I've just been working, trying to have fun on the weekends. It's a... uh... well, you didn't you didn't pay your internet bill, which is why you're on speakerphone, and I'm just recording you with a microphone next to the computer. Um, <laughs> so that'll explain the sound quality. We may lose Jeff at some point during the episode, um, but this is this is the hand we're dealt here. And it sounds like you're opening a bag of ruffled potato chips over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not moving or anything, but, uh, yeah, I have Boost Mobile, ladies and gentlemen. So, someday, someday, I will have a phone by Verizon. All right. Well, this podcast is sponsored in part by uh, neither Boost Mobile nor Verizon. <laughs> In any case, lots going on. There's been a, a lot that's happened since last week when we didn't have a lot to talk about in the MMA world, but UFC Fight Night in Mexico City went down. Bellator 163 happened. EBI 9 was last night in LA. Um, we got Luke Rockhold pulled out of his fight with Jacare. I've been to a couple of other local breweries and a local distillery since we last talked. And then something I want to kick off with, the the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And in my opinion, they made history because they actually made baseball watchable. Did you catch that game, Jeff? Unfortunately, I did not. I was actually at a soccer coach's event because I am coaching soccer. We just ended our season. But um, that whole series, honestly, Bill, from top to bottom, it looked like it was a phenomenal series. And I'm happy the Cubs got it. But... I would have preferred if they had won it last year because then Back to the Future Part 2 would have been correct. Yeah, I don't really care about any of that silliness. But for the most part, I think uh, baseball is pretty unbearable. It's one of the most boring things on TV next to golf and tennis maybe. But um, I, I actually found this series pretty interesting. I followed it a little bit. The, the fact that they came back when there were a couple of games behind and then that, that game itself, I just... I had, there was nothing else on TV, so I thought, why not put on Game 7? And uh, the, just the the drama of it, tying, the, that guy tying the game, hitting the home run, and then it went to extra innings, and then they couldn't play the extra innings because of the weather. There was just, there's so many things going on that it actually made it interesting. And I, I thought the most interesting aspect of it was the celebrity rivalry. You had like Charlie Sheen and LeBron James on one side and then uh, Bill Murray on the other side. So 
Uh, I was definitely happy to see the Cubs win just for the fact that, uh, you know, Bill Murray was rooting for them. Yes, Bill Murray is a legend. He is. I think maybe the... Maybe the Indians could have won if they drank some of Charlie Sheen's tiger blood, but, you know, they probably didn't want to because it had AIDS in it. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. So, anyway, that's enough about baseball. So, did, did you catch the, the Fight Night 98 in Mexico City? I did. I was at a local bar watching it. Uh, I was actually drinking something by New Belgium. Uh, it was called Cookies and Cream, and Bill... It tasted just like cookies and cream. It was absolutely delicious and not super sweet either. So it was really, really enjoyable. That's interesting. How does it taste like cookies and cream and it's not sweet? Well, you know, it was sweet, but it wasn't like so sweet that it like killed the taste of, you know, hops and stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was, a, it had a nice balance. Yeah. Well, New Belgium does make some nice beers. Uh, I, I want to check that one out now because I, it sounds tasty and I, I don't like things that are overly sweet. So that sounds like something that would be up my alley. In any case, this fight card was was pretty good. Um, the the main event, uh, one fight of the night, which I don't think it should have. I, I would have given Agreed. it to, to uh, Diego Sanchez and Marcin Held. Uh, I thought that was a more uh, a more exciting fight. Uh, but but let's start with that main event. Tony Ferguson was able to edge out Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, how how did you assess this one? I thought the I thought the judges got it. Uh, we were discussing it a little bit through text, and I thought I agreed with you. I thought Dos Anjos won the first round, but after that, it was all El Kukui, man. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he started once Ferguson started figuring out that he could use that six or seven inch reach advantage he has, and he he kept RDA at a distance. Um, and then Tony Ferguson is just a a cardio machine. So despite yeah. you know being at elevation in Mexico City. He was really able to to just put it on and keep up a pace that RDA wasn't able to keep up with. And uh, I, I think RDA would have had a better chance maybe if he tried taking it to the ground. I know Tony Ferguson can pull off some slick submissions. Uh, you know, he's a he's a 10th planet Eddie Bravo guy. And, and you know, he's, he's long and he's got real, those long limbs, so he's able to sink things in. Um, but, you know, it stayed standing for the most part except for that first round when RDA took him down. And uh, Ferguson was looking good. Um, now, it's do you attribute this to RDA gassing out, or do you think he's not the same fighter since Eddie Alvarez knocked him out? Do you think either of those things were a factor in this fight? Uh, I think that RDA had a hard time with the elevation, like you said. He did gas out a little bit, but another big thing that affected him, and we still haven't confirmed this, was we talked about him switching camps. Yeah. Last minute. So I feel like that had a big, big thing to do with it. Um, you know, his mind probably wasn't totally focused on Ferguson, which, as we said in the last episode, he should have been focused on Ferguson because that is a dangerous dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way I kind of saw this going down, I, I thought that if, if RDA didn't finish it in the first or second round, that he would be in trouble because there's no way he would be able to keep pace with Tony Ferguson uh, regardless of what happens with his camp. And he did end up leaving King's MMA and his coach, uh, Rafael Cordero. So, And there was, there was some commentary by Brian Stan. Uh, you probably couldn't hear it because you were watching at a bar. I don't know if they had the sound on or not. But Brian Stan was saying uh, how RDA was getting some poor uh, cornering advice. So that, that could have played a factor. But I still think that if he couldn't finish 
Tony Ferguson in the first or second round, which you know obviously is no easy task because I don't think he's been finished before, then then it would be it would be a long night for him, and Tony Ferguson would be able to just outwork him for five rounds. Uh, I had rounds two through five going to turn Tony Ferguson. Uh, I don't I don't know how you scored it. Did you did, were you close to that? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. So it, it was an okay fight, but I wouldn't call it fight of the night. What I would call fight of the night is Diego Sanchez welcoming Marcin Held. Now, Diego Sanchez is 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 getting up there. He is the only active fighter from season one of The Ultimate Fighter who is still fighting in the UFC. You know, he's one of the he's the last of a great generation, man. Um, and. You know, I loved that fight. I thought that, I agree with you. I thought that should have been fight of the night. Uh, Sanchez just put it on him, dude. Uh, and, I mean, he was taking some hard shots, too, from hell. Yeah. But, I mean, what a fight, dude. I honestly thought that Diego Sanchez won as well, but barely. You know, I felt like that one could have gone either way. But uh, I'm glad Sanchez got the win, and I think he gave Held a nice little, uh, nice little rude awakening. Yeah, and I, I feel like... You know, they may have given Marcin held Diego Sanchez to kind of build him up a little bit because he's a high-level prospect that came over from Bellator, very high-level grappler, uh, which is why he kept trying to grapple with Diego Sanchez. You're right over there. Yeah. You still got some leftover mucus from last week? No, I was. Uh, I like moved back in the chair, squeaked. Oh well, I'm gonna next time we're gonna have to like strap you to a chair or something. We're going to have to do like a clockwork orange setup. <laughs> <Where are we? laughs> that, that is acceptable to me, Bill. We're going to go full Stanley Kubrick on this show. Um, <laughs> in any case, uh, Marcin held high, very high level grappler. Um, I thought he was having more success against Diego Sanchez on the feet, actually, though, um, which, you know, he should have given up on trying to play guard with him because he wasn't really getting anywhere. It, you know, after yeah. after you escape the same submission a couple of times, you can't really keep going for it because you kind of lose that element of surprise. He kept trying to grab the same leg, and uh, he did have that one choke that looked like he had it sunk in, and, and Diego Sanchez did that front flip off the cage or, or whatever it was. It was one of the craziest submission escapes I've ever seen. And, um, you know, he was in some trouble on the ground, but I feel like Marcin... Held had him in more trouble on the feet. What do you think about that? I agree. Um, you know, he was going for leg locks and stuff, but Sanchez looked like he was just able to slip out of it or turn out of it. But uh, the one thing that really stood out to me that you mentioned, and I had actually forgotten because, again, there were quite a few cookies and creams that were drank. Um, but that uh, running off the wall to escape that guillotine, because it looked like it was tight. Yeah. And Sanchez as always, proven how tough of a dude he is, man. Just ran off the wall. And, like, it didn't look like he was totally out of it yet, but I guess uh, Hell's grip uh, slipped a little bit or something. Yeah. But, you know, all, all the credit in the world to Sanchez, man. He's a creative guy. You know, yeah. he's so fun to watch. Yeah, he's got to be one of the toughest guys uh, in the history of the sport to finish. Um, you know, unless you're Joe Lozon, of course, who, uh, you know... You have to wonder how he was going to bounce back after that brutal knockout that Lozon put on him at, at UFC 200. Um, yeah. You know, because, 
I, he is only 34, but he's he's been around for a long time. Like we said, he's the only surviving cast member in active in the UFC uh, from season one of The Ultimate Fighter, and he's been in some wars. But you know, he's he's proven to still have this toughness about him that makes him really difficult to finish. Um, you can't say the same though for Charles Oliveira, who got submitted by a guillotine for the second time in a row, and and he didn't make weight, uh, which which is kind of embarrassing. And he, he didn't just miss it by a little. He missed it by nine pounds. Um, so, you know, Charles Oliveira, who is a jiu-jitsu guy, that's what, he's, that's what he's known for. You know, he is a ground specialist. And uh, losing by guillotine for the second fight in a row against Ricardo Lamas, uh, what do you think of this fight? Uh, first off, I thought it was a complete joke by how much he missed weight. Because he missed it by almost, he was almost in the next weight class, dude. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, and the fact that he got tapped out by another guillotine, I would have thought he learned his lesson against um, Anthony Pettis, but I guess he did. And, I mean, Oliveira was looking good for a lot of it. Uh, it looked like uh, Lamas couldn't get too much going, at least from the ground. Yeah. But... You know, he caught him in a really nice guillotine, and I actually thought that Oliveira might have might have had a chance to get out because I could see the nape of his neck. And you know, the way I set up my guillotine, I feel like if you can see the nape of the guy's neck, you don't have it as tight as you should. Yeah. But all the credit to Lamas, dude. He must have a tight guillotine. Yeah. It looked like Oliveira almost popped his head out, but he tapped anyway. Yeah, it was definitely tight, and you could see that he put kind of a little twist on it right at the end, right when um, Oliveira was trying to pull his head out. So that little twist and the angle uh, might have just, you know, cut off his air supply. Plus he was gassed. I mean, he was so far overweight. And and Lamas could have made him cut another five pounds, and he didn't, and, and made the catch weight at... Um, Made the catch weight at 150, but he let him come in at 155, whatever it, whatever it was that he weighed in at. So, and to Oliveira's credit, too, he he did take the fight on three weeks' notice. Uh, as we know, Ricardo Lamas was supposed to face BJ Penn in the Philippines. So, you know, got to give credit to Lamas for for stepping up and taking a, a top contender like Charles Oliveira on short notice, too. And and credit to Oliveira for stepping up. I guess between the late notice and and the altitude, you know, he wasn't able to figure out the weight cut. But uh, I feel like this is a guy who should who should think about moving up a weight class anyway, because it, it seems like the gas tank was an issue against Pettis as well. So maybe if he if he moves up, he won't have that issue anymore. Um, because I don't think I don't think he's getting submitted because you know his skill set isn't there. I think he's just. He's just gassing out in these fights because he's just too big to be at 145. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, and he is a big 145er. You know, he's got a huge frame. Uh, <laughs> I would like to see him in a different weight class, probably 155. It seems like he'd have an easier time making. Yeah. Um, and again, he's he's got a good frame, and he's got some slick jiu-jitsu. We've seen it before, and I can't knock Oliveira. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think that uh, he's just gassing out. And, you know, when you gas out, you make mistakes that you wouldn't be making if you weren't tired. Yeah. So that's always a big factor. Exactly. Well, someone who didn't make many mistakes was uh, Martin Bravo, 
who I believe this was this is the fight for the uh, Ultimate Fighter Latin America. He beat Claudio Puelas, uh, knocked him out in the second round. Uh, I thought the kid looked good. Uh, I didn't catch any of that season, uh, so I, I don't really know, you know, what kind of competition there was on the show. But I believe he was on Forrest Griffin's team. Um, yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah. So it looks like he'll he'll be an exciting contender. I mean, that 145 weight class is, is interesting right now. Um, there, there's a lot of contenders in there. Like we talked about last week, Anthony Pettis is going to fight Max Holloway, which is one of the most exciting fight announcements uh, in a while, in my opinion. Cool things happening there. And then uh, Benil Dariush um, getting the getting the decision over uh, Rashid Magomedov. That was a that was not a terrible fight. Did you catch that one? Uh, I wasn't following that one too closely, but the stuff I did see, Darius looked really good. Yeah, uh, he didn't seem to run into too many problems. At least you know between my trips to the bathroom. Yeah, he uh, he controlled the fight. I'm mean, nothing to uh, nothing to write home about. But I mean, Magomedov is a tough contender, so. That's definitely a feather in the cap for Darius. Um, not much else to say about it. Uh, Alexa Grasso had a big win over Heather Clark, and and she looked very dominant. How about this one? Did you see that? Yeah, I remember. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, just remind me of the result again. I believe that Grasso won by knockout, if I'm not mistaken. No, it could have been stopped a couple of times, but it did end in a decision. So this was uh, this was Grasso's first fight in the UFC. She came over from Invicta, which I think is technically owned by UFC. Maybe it's like I think they're using it as like a farm system almost. Um, but she is undefeated. Uh, she looks good. Uh, she's got great striking. Um, yeah. She didn't even look like she had been in a fight when the fight was over, and Heather Clark was was busted up uh, pretty badly. Yeah, um, but Heather Joe Clark, I'm not entirely sure of her age, but I believe she's up there in years. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think she's been doing too well in the UFC since so coming out of the Ultimate Fighter uh, when uh, Rousey and Tate were coaches. Yeah. So I, I think she might have to reconsider a couple of options before stepping back into the octagon. Yeah, well, um, um, Clark, yeah. Clark's last fight, she lost to Karolina Kovokovic, who's fighting for the strawweight championship on Saturday. Um, so no shame in that. And before that, uh, she had two wins. Uh, so I, I don't know, but she is 36. Uh, we haven't really seen too much from the females in terms of, you know, uh, fighters going into their upper 30s. That's not something that... that uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to witness as of yet since, you know, women's MMA is still fairly young, considering. So we'll see where it goes. Um, given yeah. that she lost to the number one contender and then she lost to an undefeated fighter and they were both decisions, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing her in there one more time to see what she can do. But who, who knows? I, I mean, the UFC has been pretty unpredictable lately. Um Something else that was unpredictable was Joe Soto finishing uh, Marco Beltran with a heel hook, uh, and that was a, yes. a really slick finish. Yeah, um, the setup was a little strange. Mm-hmm. I, it looked like he was going for a knee bar at first, and then he just, and like they were kind of scrambling in the 50-50 position, and Joe Soto kind of just looked up and was like, oh, here's something, and just went for a really nice inverted heel hook. 
and uh, Beltran tapped out so fast, but that move just hurts, man. You know, that'll separate your Achilles from the from the bone really quick. So, you know, I'm glad he tapped out as fast as he did. He didn't get hurt. And a nice win for Joe Soto, who, uh, you know, he's an impressive fighter. He's got a lot of wins. I believe his only loss, if I'm not mistaken, is to TJ Dillashaw, which that fight he took on like three hours notice. Uh, he also lost two fights since that. But after oh, after Saturday, he's on a two-fight win streak. So uh, it was impressive. I mean, he figure forward the leg, and uh, it looked like he didn't expect the heel hook to be there because uh, Marco yeah. Beltran didn't defend at all. But since it was, he took it. So credit to Joe Soto for capitalizing on that. The only other fight that I would really touch on from this card, uh, Sam Alvey had a close decision win over Alex Nicholson. I didn't really see it as close. I thought Nicholson won the first round, and then he was more of the aggressor through the second two rounds, but Alvey outlanded him a lot. I'd say at least two to one, and then he rocked him a couple of times. Uh, wasn't able to put him away, but uh, Sam Alvey's staying very active. I feel like he's been fighting a lot lately. Um, I don't know if you saw this fight or not, Jeff. I did not, but uh, I agree with you. Alvey's taking a lot of fights, and good for him, man. If you can fight, I say fight. Yeah. You know, uh, let the UFC know that you want to be the guy and that you want to move up in the rankings. You're down to fight anybody at any time. So I say go for it. If, and, you know, good for Alvey. Good for him to get the win. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's it for Fight Night uh, Mexico City. Any Any other comments on that? Uh, nope, I think we uh, we covered all our bases with that one. Nice. All right, so I, I know you didn't catch this, but I want to I want to go over a little bit. Uh, anyway, Bellator 163, which was headlined by Liam McGeary and Phil Davis for the light heavyweight championship, was uh, Friday night, and uh, I feel like not too many people were watching this because there there's not really any big draws on the card. I mean, Phil Davis, obviously former UFC fighter, um, but I feel like most people couldn't tell you who the light heavyweight champion is in Bellator. Um, did you know who it was? Wait, before was I just... it is, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, Bill, but is it Liam McGeary still? Well, it was until Friday. <laughs> oh, oh, how, how did that one finish? I, I'm a little upset that I didn't get to see it now, actually. Um, so it was a decision by Phil Davis, and it was... It was a very dominant performance. He got booed towards the end, but I I really don't see how you could boo this performance. Liam McGeary, undefeated um, light heavyweight fighter. Uh, granted, he hasn't been up against the toughest competition, but Phil Davis did what he had to do to win. Um, they both looked sloppy on the feet, uh, but Phil Davis, once he got in a rhythm and he was able to close the distance and start hitting takedowns, uh, McGeary wasn't able to get up. He wasn't able to scramble. Phil Davis's top pressure was just too much, and he stayed active on top. There was no point where I felt like this fight should have been stood back up. He was going from submission to submission, and in between he was landing clean strikes on McGeary's head throughout the entire fight. He cut him open pretty good. Um, I, I mean, I feel like Phil Davis is a very, very underrated fighter. If you think about his career... In the UFC, his only real losses 
I mean, he lost to Rashad Evans early on, but then his only losses were to Anthony Johnson and Ryan Bader. Now, Ryan Bader is a top contender right now. Obviously, Anthony Johnson is the number one contender. And then he he manhandled uh, Alexander Gustafson. Yeah, uh, I agree with you a thousand percent on that. Uh, I feel like Phil Davis is an awesome fighter. I feel like he should have gotten at least one or two title shots when he was in the UFC. Uh, so I thought he wasn't uh, treated too awesomely in the UFC. But uh, he also has a long list of Brazilian fighters that he's beaten in the UFC. Leonardo Machida, what's his name? Uh, Big Nog. Yeah. Minotoro um, Nogueira. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe, I want to say Vitor Belfort, but I forget if they actually fought or not. Um, yeah, I'm but not... yeah, Phil Davis, a lot of accolades, NCAA wrestler. Uh, you know, he, he's been here before. He's been at the highest level. And I'm actually really surprised to hear your description of the fight because Liam McGeary is a very, very um, high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappler. Uh, he trains actually in Hoboken sometimes at Edge Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, shout out to those guys. They're awesome. Uh, and yeah, he's, uh, I believe when he beat Tito Ortiz, he tapped him out from uh, a triangle from the bottom. So, you know, this guy's legit, at least in terms of grappling. Yeah. So for him to be dominated like that is just a testament to Phil Davis, man. Uh, yeah. Tough dude, awesome fighter, awesome guy. Uh, I'm happy that he's got some world around his waist, man. Yeah, so McGeary actually, his main gym, he trains at Henzo Gracie's in, in Manhattan. So he, he does have some very, very slick jujitsu, but Phil Davis seems to have the ability to neutralize that a lot of times, and he has a lot of submission wins of his, of his own. I think a lot of people uh, don't credit him enough for his for his jujitsu skills and his and his submission defense. Uh, I think a lot yeah. of people see him as as like a lay and pray wrestler. I I don't I don't see it that way. I mean, he is a very high level wrestler, national champion at Penn State, I believe. But um, yeah, definitely some solid jujitsu skills. Uh, one fight that didn't need to go to the ground, uh, which was the fight right before uh, Davis and McGeary, was Brennan Ward and Saad Awad. So basically, Brendan Ward got into a clinch with Awad up against the cage. And Awad said to him, are we going to wrestle or are we going to bang? <laughs> so Brendan Ward let him off the cage. And these two guys just started swinging bombs at each other. Uh, Ward landed first and Awad went down, knocked out in the first oh. round. But um, I, I, I thought it was interesting that that he told him, like, are we going to wrestle or are we going to bang? And then they, they just started slugging it out. These are two, uh, two exciting fighters that I definitely think don't get enough attention. So that that's one fight that if you're interested in any of this card, I would say go back and, and watch that one. And there, there were some other impressive finishes on this card. Uh, Neiman Gracie won in the first round with an arm bar. That was pretty, that was pretty impressive. He almost tore the guy's arm off but other than that you know nothing else really stands out about this card it'll be interesting to see what happens with phil davis next i would imagine that the winner of chael son and tito ortiz will probably end up fighting him which you know phil davis has already beaten tito ortiz and and uh phil davis is a handful for anybody i think he's by far the top light heavyweight in, in bellator and i think you know he's probably easily in the top five in the world. Oh, I agree with you. A thousand percent. I think he is at least number four in the world. And at least in my opinion, in the light heavyweight division. Yeah. 
Definitely. But speaking of that light heavyweight division, so some news that came in today was that uh, John Jones, his suspension was reduced from two years to one. So the Nevada State Athletic Commission can still penalize him, but after his appeal, he was given a one-year suspension, which means that he'll be eligible to fight again in July 2017. So I, I kind of had a feeling it would go this way, uh, that he would get a reduced sentence, uh, especially because, you know, the substance apparently wasn't that bad. And it, it was, they did, when they tested like his dick pills or whatever he was taking, uh, they, they did find the substance in them when they, they tested a sample off the shelf. So, you know, John Jones likes to party. Uh, I guess he needs uh, a little help in that department, and it, it's going to cost him a, another year off of his career, uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, we're talking about, you know, one of the top fighters we've ever seen in the history of the sport, and and he just can't stay out of his own way. Yeah, um, and it's really sad because this dude, I feel like we have not seen John Jones' potential. Uh, you know, he seems to get better every single time he's in the cage. Yeah. And it, you got to remember, he's been there, he's been in the UFC a really long time, but he's only like 27 or something. Yep. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he just he just can't stay out of his own way. Um, you know, on the other side of it, maybe it'll be better for him because, you know, he's just coming into his prime so maybe, you know, not getting into wars and like allowing his body to recuperate, you know, we may see him come back uh, better than ever. Obviously, he didn't have a very impressive performance against Ovin St. Preux in his last fight. Uh, but, you know, as we know, he's he's a really tough fighter at, with a really awkward style and Jones didn't have a lot of time to prepare for him. But I agree with you that this guy looks better every time we see him. There's nobody who's really given him a tough time. Uh, besides Gustafson, really. Yes, he gave him the toughest time, Bill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but to me personally, I, I, I know I've told you this a thousand times, but that, that fight is a classic, man. And if, for those of you listening, if you haven't watched Gustafson versus Jones, go watch it. It's worth it. It is such a good fight. They just, like you said, they go to war. And um, I like the point that you made about... Uh, Jones not breaking down his body because another three or four fights like that one and you know that's taken years off of his fighting career yeah definitely and now he knows he's coming back in July so you know he can just do enough to stay in shape and and maybe work on some new weapons you know he doesn't have to be barring hard and, and and putting that beating on his body that that a lot of guys his age would have to do because they're they're trying to stay active coming into their prime um, so definitely uh, exciting that he'll be back sooner than expected. Uh, hopefully, you know he doesn't do anything to mess that up with all the free time he's going to have between now and July. But I, I guess we'll stay posted on that. Uh, another thing that's come up since the last episode: Luke Rockhold had to pull out uh, due to a knee injury, I believe, against um, Jacare Souza. So they were going to fight, uh, I believe, in December, and Rockhold had to pull out. And this kind of this kind of throws a kink in the in the middleweight division right now. I mean, you have a champion in Michael Bisbing who is looking to fight anybody except top contenders. Uh, he was calling out George St. Pierre recently. Supposedly, the UFC had sent Bisbing a bout agreement to fight GSP, 
but the money wasn't right for GSP as as we talked about last week. You know, he makes so much money from his sponsors, uh, Under Armour and, and Gatorade and Hayabusa right now, that it would cost him money to fight under the current contract with Reebok. So until they work that out, we're not going to see George St. Pierre. So Rockhold pulls out of the fight with Jacare, and Jacare calls out Bisping, and Bisping's response was he's too injured to fight. So he's calling out GSP. What? But when Jacare called him out, Bisping said, I'm too injured to fight. So when he was asked to explain himself, Bisping said, I've never been afraid of anybody. I'll fight anybody anywhere. You know, the whole bit, everything he's supposed to say. The only reason that he would have fought GSP was it would have been a bigger payday. So what I you mean, just from, just from the outside looking in, it sounds like Bisping is a little scared of Jacare. Which, I mean, any grown man would be. I'm pretty scared of Jacare. I mean, his name means uh, alligator yeah. in Portuguese. And alligators are scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a scary dude. Uh, arguably one of the top contenders in that division. Uh, I think that fight could have been a title eliminator fight, obviously, uh, since Rockhold had just lost the title um, and, and lost it quickly. Uh, the other title eliminator is Chris Wyman and Yoel Romero coming up. Uh, and then, you know, another contender that a lot of people aren't talking about is uh, there's a fight happening on the undercard Saturday between Rashad Evans and Tim Kennedy. I, I don't I don't really know what you do with this division right now. I mean, Jacare um, put out a video where he was calling out Bisping and, uh, and saying, like, you know, a real champion will fight the number one contender. And Bisping keeps trying to run after these these money fights. You know, he fights Dan Henderson, which you know I think a lot of a lot of people let that slide because you know their first fight was one of the most epic knockouts of all time. But Henderson was only ranked, I believe, 14th at the time, and now he's calling out a welterweight, which is totally out of protocol because you're never supposed to call out a guy in a lower weight class than you. So to to call out a guy who's ranked 14th and is is 46, 47 years old, and then call out a guy in a weight class below you. Then, when one of the top contenders calls you out and is ready to fight, you say that you're injured. So, Bisping not looking like a real champion uh, as of right now. What yeah, that, there's a flag on those plays, man. Um, you know, he's a lot. He's probably bigger than George Saint Pierre for one, and two. You know, you're the champion. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't pick your fights, you know. You go for whoever for the guy who's hot. That's it, you yeah. know. Whoever Joseph or, or Uncle Lorenzo puts in front of you, that's who you're fighting. And it sounds like this thing's trying to duck a lot of the top contenders by calling out uh, GST and uh, you know going back to the Dan Henderson thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, Dan Henderson's a legend. Uh, you know, he he beat the shit out of this thing the first time they fought each other, but. He's also a 47-year-old man. Yeah, and he also beat the shit out of Bisping the second time they fought each other. Uh, Bisping was able to outpoint him, though, but uh, we all know who got the worst of that one. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Bisping's probably still feeling a couple of those shots. Um, He did get knocked down twice, despite the very big gap in, uh, in striking between... It strikes landed between both Bisping and Henderson... 
Uh, he, he went down pretty hard a few times. Yeah, definitely. So um, there's there's a big kink in this in this 185 pound division right now, and and Bisping is kind of holding things up um, by kind of acting like a diva. And this is the first time we've kind of seen this in this division because it's always been, you know, first it was Anderson Silva for the longest time, and then Chris Weidman, and it, and these guys just fought whoever the top contender was. Um, now, what do you think about Tim Kennedy's name being thrown in the hat? Now, he did technically lose his last fight. Personally, I don't count it as a loss because Yoel Romero, this was the stool gate where Yoel Romero couldn't get off the stool uh, to start the third round, and he got about an extra minute and a half to recover and then came out and, and knocked out Tim Kennedy. Um, I, I don't consider that a win for Romero. If you don't get off the stool, you lose the fight. That's a technical knockout, but uh, that that's what happened. I don't know if you remember this or not. And then Tim Kennedy's last win was against Michael Bisbing, and it was a five-round main event in which he manhandled him. So it's kind of hard to overlook Tim Kennedy, but I have a feeling it'll happen. So you have Jacare, who doesn't have an opponent. Luke Rockhold, unfortunately for him, kind of took himself out of the title picture for a little while with this injury. And then you have Chris Weidman against... Uh, Yoel Romero this Saturday at UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden. So after Saturday, who do you see being the top contender and who do you see fighting for this uh, middleweight strap? Okay, so I'm okay. There's a, a, quite a few variables here. Yep. Uh, first off, I do remember that Romero fight with Kennedy, and I agree with you 100%. It doesn't count as a loss for Kennedy. He was winning that fight, yep. and Romero did not come out at the allotted time in the allotted time for the uh, last round so I'm with you 100% uh, and then Romero I know he doesn't speak English too well but that's not an excuse man you've been in the cage before you know the rules and so do your cornermen yeah um, but moving on I think that Kennedy uh, he's a tough dude he hits hard as nails and I would personally like to see him get it if he beats Rashad Evans but I think that the true title eliminator here is between Weidman and Yoel Romero. And it, that's going to be a sick fight, man. Uh, you know, they're both uh, really high-level wrestlers. Yoel Romero, uh, you know, he's super powerful, super athletic, too, uh, which is crazy because he's this short, stocky guy. But mm -hmm. he can do some uh, some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, but I think Chris Weidman can handle him. Yeah, uh, It should be a really, really good fight. So I'm excited for that one. And as for Rashad Evans versus Kennedy... I don't know, man. Uh, Rashad Evans, he's getting up there in years. He's just coming back from a really bad uh, knee injury. I believe he tore his ACL or something. So, uh, I don't know. But I think that you have to give it to the winner between Weidman and Yoel Romero. And Bisping cannot have any complaints about whoever he fights. Yeah, definitely. They need to kind of force his hand and keep things moving in that division. I, I think it bodes well for Tim Kennedy if he's able to beat Rashad Evans, you know, former light heavyweight champion, making his debut at middleweight. I think his best bet would be if he wins to call out Jacare. That would be, okay. I, I think that would be his path of least resistance to the title. Just call out Jacare right away, uh, try to fight him, and then, you know, you know, Tim Tim Kennedy has a has an interesting style that matches up well against Jacare, I feel like. He's... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Uh, he's got great ground skills. He's he's very tough to finish. It, you know he hasn't been finished in a in a long time. 
I, I can't even remember the last time. And he does have a loss against uh, Jacare over in Strikeforce, so I'm sure he's going to want to redeem himself on that one. So I think that's the move for Tim Kennedy there. Uh, if Rashad Evans wins, I, I would recommend the same thing to him. Call out Jacare. You know, he's he's waiting in the wings. He doesn't have a fight. For, for either of these guys who are who are both in their upper 30s, uh, that's the path of least resistance if you want to get to the title real quick. Yeah, so uh, all that, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the middleweight division. You know, there's so many great contenders there. I think it's one of the most exciting divisions right now. Uh, something else that was really exciting, and I, I know you didn't catch it, but I want to touch on it briefly, the uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational, which for those who don't know, is a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. It's, it's done without a gi, so it's kind of like wrestling. The guys wear uh, rash guards and shorts usually. Um, <clears throat> this particular event was the light heavyweight tournament, which the weight class works very similar to UFC. So it's 205 pounds. And uh, <clears throat> Gordon Ryan, who is uh, a Henzo Gracie guy, he tra- he's uh, trained by John Donaher. He's part of the, the Donaher Death Squad as they call them. Uh, <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> yeah, these guys are, are unbelievable jiu-jitsu practitioners. Uh, John Donaher has come up with a, a leg lock system that, that has become you know, pretty feared in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu circuit, uh, and it, it's very effective. Uh, a lot of his fighters do very well in, in all of these tournaments. So Gordon Ryan was, was one of the favorites going into this thing, even though he's a natural probably 170-pounder. Uh, he was still one of the favorites going into this. Unfortunately, he got injured uh, before the tournament took place. So his teammate, Garrett Tonin, uh, stepped up and took his place. Now, Garrett Tonin is one of the best grapplers on the planet right now. He's a he's another guy training under John Donaher, amazing leg lock guy, but he's small. He usually fight. He usually weighs, you know, if he were to compete, he usually competes around 155. So he entered... Wow. He entered the light heavyweight tournament to take his teammate's place, and he won it, which is... Get out! Yeah, which is incredible. He submitted most of his opponents. um, The the last two rounds, uh, he won by escape time. So the way way, um, EBI works, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Jeff, but uh, I'll go over it real quick. So basically, they try to force guys to finish. They want to see... Uh, only submissions so if the round ends i believe they do a 10 minute round if the round ends and nobody taps out then they do kind of like a sudden death where one guy gets the other guy's back uh until he can either submit him or the other guy escapes and then they switch places now you can either take the back or you can take spider guard which is basically you put the guy in an arm bar setup where you have the arm bar locked up so uh, after they go back and forth like that three times, if nobody is submitted, then it goes by you know who is able to control the other person longer in that position. So Gary Tonin faced uh, Vinny Magalhaes in the in the finals, which you know Vinny Magalhaes is huge. I mean, I, I believe he competed at 185 in the UFC, and uh, I think he's gotten bigger since then. So here's Gary Tonin who weighed I believe 160 pounds is what he weighed in at for this tournament, and he won the whole thing. He was able to control uh, Vinny Magalhaes in the in the finals, and I, I was blown away that he was able to to control this guy who, 
is so much bigger than him. I mean, Vinny might have cut weight to make the 205 for all we know. He, he looked humongous. But uh, Gary Tonin pulling it off and, and really kind of staying true to the nature of jiu-jitsu with, you know, the smaller guy able to uh, use technique and, and come out on top against much, much bigger opponents. Uh, so what's your what's your reaction to this, Jeff? Dude, I love it. I mean, I'm a bit I'm a big boy too, but uh, you know <laughs> to to hear that Gary Tonin was able to pull out that win like that and dominate these bigger dudes, I love it. Um, and like you said, that's what jujitsu is. You know, it's not about strength and power. It's about who's got the better technique. And you know, good for Gary Tonin, man, out there repping the sport. Like you said, he's one of the best rappers in the world. I love it. Yeah, and he had just come off a big win a couple of, like not even two weeks ago. He was, he was competing in London and he won a big tournament there. So stepping up uh, and, uh, you know, stepping up a big step up in weight uh, to, to win this light heavyweight uh, EBI, which for those who don't follow, if you have the UFC Fight Pass, you know, check out the Eddie Bravo Invitational tournaments. They're, they're really great. If you if you're into jiu-jitsu or you practice jiu-jitsu but you don't watch because it's a little bit boring, uh, watch watch EBI. It's it's a much quicker pace and and the way they set up the rules, there's no points involved. So it's all submission only in the first round and then it's all situational and and ride time. So definitely check out um Eddie Bravo's tournament there. He he's really put together an excellent set of rules and and it's really exciting. Yeah, and uh, I believe Gary Tonin a couple months back fought um, Rusimar Palharis. He did. Uh, in Polaris 4, I want to say it was. Yeah. Uh, which, that was a really good fight if you want to check that out, too. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's on YouTube. Awesome fight. Uh, and it looked like Gary Tonin, yeah, he was in some bad spots, but he was able to, to, to take the fight to Rusimar Palharis, who is another big boy. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, Paul Harris is huge, and uh, Gary, Gary Tonin actually dominated that contest, but unfortunately he didn't win. It ended in a draw because Polaris um, works on a on a point system. It doesn't work on a point system. It's either like it's either win win lose or draw. Basic. Yeah. It's either tap the guy out or or it goes to a draw if it goes the time limit. So um, definitely EBI has a more exciting. Uh, rule set and uh, something else that's exciting is I was able to go to a local distillery here in Florida the distillery is called Cothermans C-O-T-H-E-R-M-A-N and uh, they're fairly new they've only been distilling for a couple of years Uh, they do a couple of different vodkas they do a gin and they just started doing whiskey they're located in uh, Dunedin Florida which is just a couple of miles from where I live. So I had to go check it out. And uh, I was actually able to sample batch one of their whiskey, which is awesome because you get to, you know, you get to see what they're like, you know, when they're, when they're on the ground level. And then, you know, I'm excited to see where they go from here. And you would expect batch one to be a little bit rough, you know, cause it's their first, their first, uh, their first go at, at making whiskey, but it was surprisingly smooth. I really enjoyed the whiskey a lot, and I and I uh, picked up a bottle of their pepper flavored vodka, which they actually soak 
in jalapeno peppers <laughs> and then they bottle it and it's got some it's got some cool artwork to it as well and this is only batch two of the pepper vodka they call it hello pena which i think is a play on, <laughs> which is a little play on words for jalapeno there but um awesome distillery if you live in the in the western central florida area definitely go check them out they're only open on friday nights from 6 to 10 or 6 to 11, I believe. But you can go and you can sample all the liquors that they make there. And then you can take a tour of their facilities, which was basically, they make everything in a, in a pretty surprisingly uh, closed space. They have a big warehouse, but you know they don't take up that much space in the equipment because they're still pretty young. But uh, I would definitely keep Cothermans on the radar. I, I think that they're going to be successful. I think they have a system down, and once they start producing large scale and start distributing, I think they're going to see some success. Uh, the owner was actually a really cool guy. I was able to, to have a chat with him. His name's Mike, and uh, he was inspired by Stranahan's uh, Whiskey Company, which is, uh, they're, they're out in Denver, Colorado, and I was able to go to their distillery when I was out there a couple of months ago. And they're, they're one of my favorite whiskeys. So the fact that he was inspired by them, and what they do is they take uh, recycled beer malts and they basically use it to make the whiskey. And that's how they flavor their whiskey and then they, you know, they barrel age it to get that oakiness. So I'm, I'm excited that, that somebody who's inspired by them is making whiskey, you know, pretty much in my backyard. Um, so, you know, exciting things going on around here. Yeah, dude. Uh... That's awesome. Uh, like I said, uh, I was drinking uh, some uh, cookies and cream beers. I also had a shot of whiskey in your honor, Bill, but I have Jack Daniels. And uh, when All I right. go out and visit you, I want to visit that distillery. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like they got some really good ideas going. Yeah, and the awesome thing about this place is you go to the distillery and you get some samples, and there's right now three other there are three breweries that are in walking distance of the distillery and they're about to open two more uh so i did take a little walk around the neighborhood i stopped in at one one other brewery and i had some samples but i want to do a little bit more research before i start telling everybody about the rest of this neighborhood i think i'm gonna have to go back and visit a few more times but one brewery i have gotten familiar with is one that's even more local to me and it's called barley mo and it's actually right up the street about four miles uh from where i live so i went there uh yesterday morning sunday morning so the first and third sunday of the month they do uh yoga you all right there yeah i'm good okay if you hear some background noise uh somebody just moved in uh upstairs so they're moving some furniture around Oh, maybe you should try and bum off of their Wi-Fi so you can, uh... <laughs> yeah, I might have to buy them a few beers, but I'm going to get to it. Hey, that goes a long way. In any case, yeah, so uh, Barley Mo, they do the first and third su- Sunday of every month, they do yoga. And really cool brewery. They got, like, a nice backyard. They do live music there on Fridays, but they do yoga in their on their patio. And then, uh, so you go take the yoga class. It's an hour-long class, which was which was awesome. I'd never done yoga before, but uh, it, it felt great. Like it felt like it loosens my spine up. You get like a nice deep stretch. The class is 10 bucks and uh, it includes a, a pint of their beer. So you do the yoga and it's kind of like a 
detox and retox kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> so you do the yoga and oh, you, you sweat out everything from the weekend and then, you know, you immediately replenish with another beer. And their their beer is awesome. Uh, they have a, a really great IPA called Quackalope. It's very popular, <laughs> which is like a, it's like a jackalope, but with a with a duck. So I guess it's a duck with antlers. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's their like flagship beer. They also have a really awesome black IPA, uh, and then they do a a curry pumpkin beer, which has like a little spice to it. And then they do a pumpkin porter, which is a little on the sweeter side. Um, but yeah, awesome beer and then, you know, awesome things going on there. They do the live music, they do the yoga thing. I think they do some food trucks, but, uh, uh I'm definitely going to get more familiar with that place since it's, it's right up the street from me. Um, so yeah, lots of exciting things going on in, in the booze world. I got a lot of places to take you when you come down to visit, Jeff. Yeah, definitely. I'll be there in about a month. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is about a month from now, huh? Yeah, my flight is booked, so I'm good to go. I got a nice little nest egg saved up, so it should be an awesome time. Yeah, so I'm gonna—I'm sure I'll have a few more favorite spots to take you by then, um, and then, you know, lots of things to talk about. You know, we'll have UFC 205 will be over by then, and I think we're gonna have to do a separate episode to break that one down. So hopefully you'll be able to join in, Jeff. Uh, if not, I might be doing that one solo, but, you know, we're going to have to take, a, you know, an individual episode to get through that card just because every fight from top to bottom is phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. And I'm probably going to be hitting the bottom of my house pretty early to watch every single fight on that card, man, because that card is just stacked. And I personally love that the UFC is giving, you know, uh, I'm still in Jersey, so I live pretty close to the city. I love that the first card at MSG for the UFC is so stacked, you know. Um, I wish I could have gotten tickets to that, but unfortunately they sold out in like three minutes. So yeah. What are it you going to do? It was crazy. Like I said on the last episode, that's why I moved to Florida. I was like, if I can't go to UFC 205, I don't even want to be near the tri-state area anymore. So, you know, I, I packed up and... And move to warmer climates. Um, in any case, you can uh, catch all the breweries and distilleries and everything that I'm visiting, uh, you know, in my local neighborhood on social media. As always, at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or MMAontherocks.com. Uh, also, you can find the podcast if you're listening anywhere else. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, MMAontherocks.com, and then. You know, all those other podcast uh, sites, Outcast, uh, we're on pretty much everything. But uh, if you're digging the show, go on to your favorite podcast site. Please leave a review and, uh, you know, send some feedback. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. So, uh, you know, if you disagreed with anything he has to say or, or you want to show him some love, do it that way. Jeff, anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap up? Uh, I mean, I think we covered all our bases, man. We're good to go. So thank you again, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. And to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed it. We love doing this. And, you know, thank you and have a good night, everybody. Fuck yeah. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking on social media. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.